Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to a new, exciting, thrilling, enthralling episode of... of FNO InsureTech. Thank you. You're welcome. These are your hosts. I'm Rob Beller, coming to you from Sheltered in Place, California. And I'm Lee Boyd, coming to you from Waco, Texas. Not necessarily sheltered in place, though. Correct. No, I'm in the office, and Texas is quite a. Texas is uh, open. Yeah, I mean, it's like are, woohoo, let's go, right? Yeah, the the barber shops are open, the restaurants are open, mm-hmm. um, retail is open. I hope the hospital's open. Yeah, it's open. It's saving fifty percent of its uh, capacity for COVID in the mm-hmm. event that it's needed, but it's open. Okay. Elective right. surgeries are are getting started again. Oh, they are! Wow. So you guys yeah. are like, let's take the gloves off. It's and the yeah. masks. Yeah, I actually I went to Target on Saturday and decided not to go in. I, I you know, I didn't get my wife anything. So I decided to go get my wife something for Mother's Day at Target, but it was wrapped around the building, so I decided not not worth it not going in. What the line to get in? The line to get in because it's 25% capacity and people are just standing in oh. line all around oh. the building. So they're only I don't letting, know what they need in Target that bad. They're only letting so many people in at a time. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't need Target that bad. I was going to buy her a, a sloth pool float. <laughs> but instead, what did you get her? Everybody needs to know this. I got her the Friends Lego set. The Friends Lego set. That's right, everybody listening to this podcast. You're not hearing things. Yeah. There is a Lego set for Friends, right? The TV Correct. show. Yeah, the, the TV show, it's the coffee shop, and it's the it's the Friends Lego set. We like Legos. She likes Friends. She wanted well, it. Well, would you do us a favor? When you get it all put together, would you take mm-hmm. a picture of it, and we'll put it on the website so that everybody can see what it looks like. I'm sure they'll all I look will. forward to that. You know you know what I'm bringing up to my office this week? Hmm. No. I have the I have the Disney Castle Lego set I put together last year. I'm going to bring it up here and put it in my office. My kids loved Legos. They're great. Who doesn't love Legos? What's not to like about a Lego? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go. Do you not, not like Legos? Gonna, I'm not even going to. No, I love Legos. What's not to love? I've, they have I've a whole put TV together show. 18 million different Lego things because that was like the standard gift to give to your kids for years and years and years and years, right? Because yeah. they loved it. They're um, great. Uh, speaking of putting things together. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our guest today, Mr. Jamie Yoder, the president of Snapsheet. Yeah, it's it's going to be a wonderful interview with him. Really interesting history, especially if you go way back. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Hopefully, hopefully mm-hmm. we had to talk about him, but uh, really, really knows the stuff whenever it comes to innovation and technology and where all this is going. And I imagine we're going to talk about, you know, COVID and, and the world of claims, what that's doing to them now and how they're preparing I think it'll be a great conversation. Yeah, a great high-level addition to the Snapsheet team. 
Jamie brings years and years of decades of experience in the consulting world and, you know, that view of the industry to Snapsheet, which I'm sure is just an amazing benefit for them. But we'll hear all about that in our episode. And so without further ado, let's just jump into our episode with Jamie Yoder from Snapsheet. Hey, everybody. We are here with our very special guest who we have learned all kinds of interesting things about already before we started recording. And uh, we're happy to have with us today, Jamie Yoder, president of Snapsheet, coming to us from Chicago, Illinois. Is that right? Uh, That's correct. Yeah. Thanks. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's nice to have you. We like to have auto guys on. Because as you know, we're property guys and our section of the insurance carrier market is sits right next to yours, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. A lot of good lessons from we share with each other. And we don't often get to have claims people on, but you are now at this point in your career, an auto claims guy. Yeah, it took a long journey to get here, but you know, great, great spot to land. Great. And we want to talk about your journey, but let's jump right in and talk about Snapsheet. Give us your elevator on Snapsheet, what it is, what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So Snapsheet is uh, one of the leading InsurTech players, uh, but obviously InsurTech not as someone trying to displace incumbent carriers, but rather to deliver leading capabilities and to really help them on their transformation journey, really change the way they can engage their customers and, and really change the way work is done. And, you know, Snapsheet was founded, you know, almost a decade ago. So the early part, uh, you know, 2011. With a really simple premise, uh, and that's, uh, you know, our founder, Brad Weisberg, you know, he got in an accident and went through an experience that was less than stellar and thought there could be a better way given the advances in technology and what's happening. So our focus then was very much around, basically was the pioneer of virtual claims uh, for auto. And, but we've always been about the technology platform to enable that engagement with customers that you can start with, in this case, photos, but then through it, right, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. You really drive a process that can improve recycle time, improve expenses, and really create a, a better experience and handle friction really across the whole claims process. Cool. And you're the president. What what does the president of Snapsheet do? So, you know, I get to put my hands in a, in a lot of pots. But, you know, largely I'm responsible for, you know, how we think of, you know, how our offerings and the capabilities that we bring, how we go to market around really addressing the industry challenges and, and needs, whether it's carriers or you know, captives or, or others, you know, how our solutions help them achieve better results with their business. You know, I look at it, you know, some of my background, which was consulting, is very similar, except we're bringing solutions. It's really business solutions to the advice as opposed to you know, the PowerPoint to death proposition. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a lot about Snapsheet and your technology and processes that you guys are involved in, but I want to talk for a few minutes about your really interesting journey. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So you are not a typical consultant president of an insure tech guy. I mean, you're not from the big city and and Harvard. Give us your background and you know your your story. It's an interesting one. Yeah, sure. So I, I joined Snapsheet a little over a year and a half ago as president. But prior to that, I led the insurance advisory practice PwC. So 
obviously, uh, you know, major global global professional services firm. I uh, led it both U.S. as well as uh, globally for a number of years. Before that, led the insurance practice at a company called Diamond Management Technology Consultants, which was a uh, startup consulting company in the mid-90s focused on digital strategy. And insurance was our, our largest practice, which, you know, we sold to PwC in 2010. Uh, and then uh, obviously I've led the advisory practice there for many years. What's interesting is I've spent 30 years in my career really looking at how information and technology were changing the competitive strategies of, of the insurance landscape. And, you know, I've worked with hundreds of insurance executive teams uh, around the globe on those efforts. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of time spent both helping shape the strategy, but also leading through uh, transformations. Uh, but the interesting thing and kind of what we were talking about earlier is in my background, it came from an Amish community and, and my Amish roots, family. And interestingly, you know, so to have spent a career in how, you know, in technology and insurance, right? If, you know, two things the Amish don't have are insurance and, and technology. So, you know, I like to joke that you know, my father asked me to take a niche that you can excel at. And, you know, so I like to think I'm one of the best <laughs> technologists out there. And, you know, I've made my career on that. So, uh-huh. But, but, you know, it's interesting, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, worked, obviously working with the executive teams and doing that, that was a great thing. And what I came to believe was that, you know, transformation and, and really the role of advice and advisory, you know, has obviously changed that solutions can go so much further And transformation had, had started to become a little bit more of an implementation synonym as opposed to really being about true change. Yeah. Uh, meaningful change. And, you know, the solutions largely exist today is a question of how can you Really, it's more sculpting. How do you bring that to the carriers? How do you bring that to the market in a way that says, from an advice standpoint, these are the things that are possible, but the time it should take you to get there and the means to get there shouldn't be you know, months or years of work and million, tens of millions of dollars. The path to get there can be, can be much better. And through those efforts, Snapsheet became one of my best examples when you looked at the claim space. Right. You think about technology and the solutions they provide. You know, they looked at me and said, well, you know, you've been doing that a long time. Like, as you get tired of trying to convince people to, to make a move, why not, why not help them achieve it? And so I came on board uh, a year and a half ago. That's exactly, you know, what I was thinking about is you went from kind of looking at organizations and looking at trends in the industry and talking to people about this is how you should do it in so many words. And now you're on the other side of that, right? You might... Yeah sit with a consultant today, telling you ideas and giving you ideas. So why did you go from one side to the other? I mean, did, did you want out? Had you had enough? Did you want to see what it's like to, to actually, <laughs> to actually get your hands dirty? <laughs> to have a real job. I like, like to joke, I'm a reforming consultant. Well, I, I think it's, it is a bit, a bit that, right? So, you know, I'd led a led in insurance practice for, you know, close to 13 years and had been doing it for 30. And you look, want to look back ultimately your career and said, look, I was part of it's part of driving that change in, in a different way and being part of something that, that's really affecting that change in a, in a different way uh, was attractive to me. And so, you know, sometimes you look at it and say, if I, I've done you know, digital strategy and transformation for 30 years as a consultant, right? if I did it for 35 years, all said and done, people just go either way. It's a long time, right? You know, really wanting to sort of lean in to helping to, you know, affect the change. And and I also think it's the evolution of advice in general, right? And that is, we used to say to, to consultants, in today's world, in order to get people to truly change, it's almost like you have to do the work to win the work or show the change in order to actually make it real to people to get there. 
I think we're at a time now where that's more possible than ever, that there has been a lot of in, a lot of capital deployed to in the insure tech space, really around talent and the talent and the, and the capital to invest in capabilities that show the art of the possible, that show how things could be done differently. I, as I said before, Snapsheet was always my best exa- example of that because Right and at scale, and you know, claims is as you well know, claims is such a, a great space by which to show how how technology can really change it because there's a feedback loop. It's measurable. It's you know, it's it's such an intensely digital process with information and key decisions that happen all across it. So the opportunities to deploy sort of you know new digital experiences and uh, improvements are are you know it's you know are everywhere. Right, and so. Um, you know, we always say it's really removing friction across the process. It starts with the customer, but claims is a party of many parties. And so all those handoffs between groups is where so much breakdown and friction exists. Yes. And so, you know, digital is an opportunity to really, pu- you know, push the push the full envelope as to what you could really do. And I think there's, as you well know, right, you know, just right. endless great change that you could do and you can see its results. Yeah, it's an opportunity to to do better, or maybe to create even a bigger black hole for things to fall into. But if done right, is a great opportunity. And we're here in the midst of COVID nineteen and all the various impacts that there's having not only on our business but on our lives. Sure. I was on a webinar recently, and I heard a chief claims officer say that COVID nineteen hasn't changed our digital strategy, but it's accelerated it. Yeah. Please comment on that. Well, I completely agree. And I, I think what's interesting is in some ways I like, you know, I, we, we coined the phrase digital strategy diamond in the mid, the mid 90s, so 95, 96. So it's been around forever. And, and it's not, it's kind of like, you know, customer experience was talked about forever for years and everybody from a rhetoric standpoint was doing great things, but they really weren't making, you know, moving the needle. Digital in many ways is somewhat the same. It's not that people haven't been investing heavily or had you know major numbers of digital efforts going. Uh, oftentimes they they show up as tons of little pilots. They show up as tons of different things. And so what this really is is you know it's sort of a it's a true sort of jolt to the system of okay it's it's not just that we're showing progress and we're advancing. We you know we're we've been by necessity pushed far further far faster then we were moving, right? And, you know, one of the challenges of leadership is, is always, you know, is creating that sense of urgency sometimes when, when there isn't a crisis, right? And so, but now we actually have one. And so I feel like, you know, many ways, you know, everybody has moved the needle, but largely most people have known even more was possible. But, you know, it's typically, you know, incremental since the win of the day. And, and now you have this more of a, you know, move to a new curve. During this COVID-19 I'm curious on on what the impacts were on Snapsheet because we saw a decrease in in autos being driven around, so a decrease in auto claims. However, I would imagine that we saw an increase in the desire to push down the virtual route whenever whenever we did have an auto claim. What happened with Snapsheet during this past few months, and and now what are y'all doing with all of this? The obvious spot, right? You're absolutely right. Is you know, obviously, claims frequency in, in the auto space is directly correlated to miles driven and shelter in place. You know, means exactly that that you're you're not a you're certainly not in your vehicle. And so, you know, like the like the broader industry, we obviously see you know a huge decline in frequency. So you know, fifty percent plus. 
And you know, that's the immediate effect. Wow, that's a big number. It's a huge number, right? It's stunning, right? Because I mean, claims, yeah, claims frequency is highly variable in normal times. And we're really hit by two factors now, right? So there's obviously the, the immediate effect of shelter in place. You have the economic downturn, right? So unemployment at huge high levels. You have you know, economic impacts tend to then drive decreased auto sales. So all of which will then decrease exposures. And all of those have an effect on the auto volume and what's happening. Uh, but if you go back, take out COVID, you go back to 2008 and 2009. So while claims are highly variable, you still, even in 2008, nine, you know, with the recession, you still only saw a drop of a few percentage points, right? Yeah. And we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, talking the levels it adds, right? Why you're seeing such huge implication to anybody and ourselves included. Nobody escapes it. if you're tied to the volume business of the auto sector, you know, miles driven, right? So, you know, the rental car companies, the repair shops, the, uh, you know, anybody related to the travel, travel and adjacencies, obviously there's an effect. So you have that, you know, that effect on, on one side, but when you look at it from a business model standpoint, what is really interesting is that this is by necessity really thrust organizations into virtual, right? So, you know, Customers, there aren't many accidents, but where they are, customers, they don't want to see anybody. Their workforce has been thrown to home. And so you saw all the insurers just spend the first few weeks just trying to, you know, how do we stand up people so they can be effective as remote workforce? Yes. You know, that goes back to your point about, you know, a real shock to say, how far had we really come on this digital transformation and what's possible, right? We did as mm-hmm. much as we need to do to show progress, but did we really nor was there a need to really show what, what is truly possible. But the virtual, you know, we saw over years, you know, as I said before, you know, Snapsheet was a great model of you got to prove it can be done before people believe it, right? And we were fortunate that if you look at how we drove virtual appraisals, right, back in, when we started, there was 0% of auto appraisals done, you know, via photo uh, and done virtually. And, you know, now it's, you know, it's, you know, still in the low you know, teens, but but what you have is sort of this barbell where we have, you know, we have over 90 clients, 15 of the 25 largest insurers, but also who who do it as a channel in, within many, many channels of their claims handling, right? So as a method of inspection, it's one of many. Um, but you also see in insure techs or self-insureds, uh, shared economy players who have vehicles, they would lean in 100%. Mm-hmm. And that pushed us to build the technology and build the process necessary to do virtual at scale for low severity claims. So just, you know, minor ones to total losses, right? So any repairable or non-repairable of any type, right? You know, we like to say if it's not, if it doesn't float or fly, you can write it virtually. You can write the appraisal virtually. And we built our process and our technology and the data necessary by which to facilitate that process. You said that you guys are a pioneer in this space. When you talk about virtual claims, one of the things that we know from our own work is what carrier number one considers a virtual claim, carrier number two might not. And so explain to us what you mean by virtual and what that actually looks like at Snapsheet and what that looks like to your carrier customer. For us, it basically is when once notified, right? So, if, I mean, if you can move it up into the first notice loss, great. Uh, but the point being, as quickly as possible, basically an assignment is made or the follow-up is done to the customer, right? So, so the customer is notified and saying, one, you know, obviously one of the pieces, uh, one of the things we need is uh, is photos in order to drive a process. And so, you know, we, for us, it, we say it sort of changed the way you engage. You know, much of this is, you know, people have evolved and have added these capabilities. People get that photos are helpful 
within the process. For us, it really starts with, uh, when we say virtual, it's you removed away from the notion that the geographic the resourcing, so the appraisers needing to be geographically locate, you know, located to go visit the person to provide the information or other is not necessary. Or to write the estimate can be mm-hmm. done well before, as early in the process as absolutely possible, even before you go to the repair shop and you use that as a basis to drive the process. So getting the photos, um, you know, early days we started off, it was really an app and that was kind of a part of the process. What we learned is obviously it's just important to be able to get that information however possible. So omnichannel engagement by which to, you know, whether it be through a web app or through text or email or the shop, it's driving a process to get those pictures, the right pictures as quickly as possible in the easiest way. In many cases, you could have that information before an adjuster even deals with the claim. Sure. And that allows, informs the process and allows them to actually drive this through. So if you look at sort of cycle time and, you know, how long it was, a lot of it is less about how long it takes to write an estimate. You know, that can be done in, in minutes. And a lot of people think, oh, if I could just automate that estimate, well, you know, AI for the estimate piece, that's really kind of the shortest, shortest time frame in the process. Most of it's in the exchange of information with individuals that are involved between. Right. Between right. And sugar. waiting for that. Waiting for that information. So well, we've you know, spent tons of time on studies. And again, I talked about relentlessly looking at where friction exists. Why? Why are we not able to get the information in all cases? Or is it taking too long? How might we do it? And evolving that process to be uh, a way that you know, works for the customers, right? Because <laughs> getting that information is more valuable to the insured and to us than it, and it is necessarily to the customer, but it's in the customer's best interest to guide a really simple process if they can provide it earlier. Then you can control like when it's right to get to a shop, what's the right shop uh, in different cases, what's the, and what's the right process? Is it a total loss? All of these things, you know, you can inform the pathway for it earlier in the process. When we talk about virtual, then though it's, our resources live you know, in the country. So the, the appraisals coming in, it's creating an optimal workforce model that you know, our, our you know, appraisers, and again, it could, be, it could be, like I said before, we license the technology out. It could be, it could be carriers people. It says, as opposed to being this geographic centric model, uh, claims are just pooled. And then the, the, in our case, the claim is the one who knows everything that has to get done on it. And it's mm-hmm. the one captaining the process. And so it continuously looks for, given what I need to have done, who's the right person with the right skill set you know, uh, at the right time to get that to them and then provide all the context and information they need by which to make that decision. So as opposed to you know, anything out of the guidelines or the, or the state uh, criteria or you know, where somebody's registered, you can optimize really how workload distributes to the system. So you have full control of it, which is a very different model than the old uh, field, you know, how you optimize field appraisers. Is Snapsheet more of a technology? Is it the claims platform or is there a process behind it? What do you specialize in? So we, we certainly specialize, you know, start with the technology platform. So, you know, we built sort of native cloud-based platform, obviously, you know, allowing us to continuously make updates. One of the advantages it's all, uh, you know, REST AP, you know, all truly modern, modern tech stack, which the advantages are obviously we can deploy changes continuously, but unlike some uh, newer, you know, claim systems that, you know, also may have a similar architecture, you know, we've, we built it up through, through learnings from our process itself, right? So, you know, when you look at having, you know, millions of claims that, that we handled through it and right. learning where 
friction sands, right? It's, you, funny thing about it is when you, you know, remove friction, you see the friction, you remove it, you find some more, and you can just keep that process. We call it, you know, really we built this learning machine to evolve our technology over, you know, nine years. And uh, so the process and the people were invaluable in that one, because obviously we have a service business for auto, but two, how that's allowed us to hone the technology. And quite honestly, the data that we gain allows us to build new capabilities and keep adding that in. You're not reliant on the carrier to give you all that data so that you can improve your product. You're not constantly having to sit in meetings with carriers to talk about what it's like because you, you guys are actually doing it yourselves. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And, and I, and I just worth noting, cause I, obviously we're going to focus this part of this conversation on auto is we, we clearly have used this, the part that we drive, drive for appraisals because that was such a unique spot, right? If you look at any claim system out there, there really weren't tools that were built to optimize the appraisal process in this new way. So while we have that and license that out as, as software as a service, that component, um, we bring the expertise with it because, again, go back to what I said, we're really about the solution. We're really about how it affects. Transformation ought to be about affecting the change, not just, here you go, good luck. And, you know, here's an implementation. But we've also extended that now, you know, in, in, in this case, we don't use this in our service organization. We've extended it out with some strategic uh, partners and, and actual implementations with carriers to, you know, really go from a full claims management from FNOL through to, to settlement and payment and using the same things we, you know, the same basis of if claims is really in transformation is about changing the way you engage, changing the way the work is done and the way the work is managed. So that inside out where I said the claim actually knows everything it needs to get done. It's using that for sort of zero code, you know, workflow, really the push towards automation, the ability to automate all those administrative tasks and focus the effort of your adjusters on the task where, you know, empathy, and you know, decisioning are most most critical versus assembly, follow up, and other things. Um, we've been able to you know hone how we you know optimize the process to the end to end claims experience. So um, you know that's what we say push the envelope to what digital claims can could be. Is that what is going on with the snapsheet and the uh, clear cover press release from last week? Yes, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Right. So the ability, you know, we said transformation shouldn't be many, you know, many months and years and, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars. You should be able to, you know, really establish, you know, build focus where the impact is made. And that's the engagement and that's the you know, how work is managed and, and automated. Um, that is that is absolutely uh, what we've launched with Clear Cover. And, you know, it's really a nice hybrid, even what we talked about it and where it's, you know, it's that platform to drive the Indian claims experience. Right. And the appraisal capability sort of as a subpart of that. So with them, so basically you'll take the first notice of loss and then they'll use your claims platform to go all the way through. And then I see another press release talking about payments. Talk to me a little bit yeah. about that one. That came out just recently. What what are y'all doing with payments? Yeah. So, you know, the same way that if our pursuit really was if I'm really trying to remove the friction across and you know, create the you know great customer experience for uh, and, and, you know, shrink cycle times, improve economic results for the claims experience. Well, you know, we had done that in appraisals and we, we had these great results in improving cycle time and, you know, dramatically changing, you know, cycle time and, and delivering sort of you know, massive productivity improvements in that. What you found is you got to a point, well, then a payment's to be made. And then, you know, 80% of the industry is still paper check. So you get to that point and you improve it. 
And then you were left with this, okay, now we're going to send you a paper check and it's going to come to you in a, in a week or so. And, you know, it was just this, like, here we were at the very end and now there's this, you know, really ugly experience right at the back. And, you know, so even, you know, a few years ago, we actually built out our payments capability and now we're obviously scaling and, and offering it more robustness, but it's, it, it really is, you know, the basic, we look at it and say, if, you know, ultimately company carriers, 80% check has less to do with the, whether or not they could offer different payment rails. Most of them work with a bank and say, well, we could offer different rails. The challenge is, is if you can't engage the customer to get the information, right, and you can't make it as easy as absolutely possible for the adjuster, right, so remove that friction, right, use engagement to do that to drive adoption, right? So you may offer different rails, but it doesn't mean anybody's using it. And right. we've, we've experienced, you know, adoption levels of movement away from check, even if it's just, you know, ACH or same day ACH, but also facilitating any future form of payment, um, whether it be Zelle or push to, de- you know, push to debit uh, and future payments. Ultimately, it's about building those claims workflows. So the adjuster simply needs to say, would you like to get paid fast or slow? Well, no surprise, most customers would say fast, <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then the adjuster doesn't have to do anything else. Or if you're trying to automate the claims, right? So we obviously built, you know, built, within our platform, everything really centers on, you know, was, you know work, intelligent workflow. And while there's been a lot of talk about a push towards automation, the means by which to readily provide that, right? So to operationalize a lot of the key sort of decisioning tools necessary or to automate these administrative tasks that I mentioned, right? You can't, you know, payments is a clear one because, you know, great, if I couldn't finish that in line, it requires the claims use cases to be handled like multi-party payments or vendor payments. And, and sign, you know, early settlement requires uh, e-signature. Other steps, right? You can actually, you know, drive that through. You know, the system can drive that and exchange that information between the claim system and the treasury system and the bank. And you know, by doing that, you know, you can you can you know, truly drive out greater efficiencies, much sure. you know, greater tracking, greater transparency, and compliance. Uh, all important things, right? But it's just like you know, by such a simple step. Um, you know, it can, it can, you know, it, it was, if you looked at the COVID response, a lot of people were stuck with, um, you know, the person who wrote the checks, right. Couldn't, wouldn't get in the office in the first right. couple of weeks. Right. Right. I want to switch gears for a second and talk about a paper that you wrote recently called digital Darwinism. Yeah. Which I thought was really good. Can you just real briefly, what do you mean by digital Darwinism? You know, it's a lot of the things that we're talking about. And that is, you know, the, the notion that, you know, evolution, these changes that organizations go through or the opportunities that are presented, you know, while in the past, you know, they happened across generations, ultimately the power of digital is that that change is happening, you know, numerous times over the course of, you know, your career and, and you know, within companies. And so how do you, how do you really create not just, oh, we did a digital transformation project, but, you know, ultimately a digital transformation is about creating this sort of learning organization, an organization that, that and in an operating model that can take advantage of capabilities that may give you innovations today, but are set up to basically, you know, add in those new capabilities and evolve without big new projects or big changes or these episodic sort of releases. It's, right. As I described with Snapsheet, it's that, you know, it's that ongoing find friction, fix friction. How did it work? Keep going. One of your principles in here that I that really struck me and I really enjoyed, and I want you to speak about for a second, is where you said, change the way you change. Innovate. Don't renovate. Don't start from scratch. So, 
you know, it's interesting. One of the advances, I mean, one of the key, key and, and I think sometimes I don't say it's overlooked because it's always talked about, but it's, it's the less sexy, right? AI gets a lot of attention and, you know, I mean, you know, some of these times the extreme technologies get the most attention and probably the most revolutionary one is just the simple, you know, API and, you know, web services and the ability to actually, you know, modulize things and get more granular and apply and reuse lots of things that are there. And obviously that's not how legacy systems are architected. I would contend that that's not how even systems that people are putting in on their modernization efforts over the last few years, that's not how they're architected. But when you break it down, you say everybody's got all, you know, obviously any incumbent carrier has huge amounts of assets and, and activities that are there. Trying to replace the whole stack is, you know, there's there's so many, you know, there's a huge capital outlay. There's, you know, huge upfront efforts with these. And the truth is, is that a lot of times you, know, you might need to do that ultimately for tech debt, but the benefits exist in where you change, changing the way you engage your customers in the process we've talked about and in how you actually operate, right? So, you know, new capabilities that change the way you're operating to automate different work as we've discussed, right? But, but ultimately, everyone leaves that to last. Well, let's replace all our technology and then we'll see how we use it. And, you know, and the, and the truth is there's huge opportunities, right? I always look at it, if your focus is on the decision processes, how am I improving the speed and efficacy of decision-making, right? And, you know, whether that be, again, like we talked earlier, getting information from the customer as quickly as possible. There are things I can do that are highly beneficial that drive far greater outcome that can work with some of the things that are there in your environment, right? So we look at our claims management system, we can be the ultimate system of record and replace the whole stack, but you don't have to start there. You can actually start on the digital surround and the digital engagement and digital, you know, how work's managed and get huge benefits. Then we'll rationalize some of the architecture as opposed to let's just replace this whole thing because that's going to be easiest. Well, people don't have tens of millions or don't want to spend tens of millions of dollars and take a few years to do that because at that point, especially if I then to make the next change requires another big program and another big effort because by the time you get there, it's out of date. Let's talk for a minute, just kind of finish up on the topic of COVID and auto claims. Yeah. Is this something that's going to change auto claims forever? What do you think? I mean, do you think that the future of auto claims, obviously down the road with autonomous vehicles and whatnot, auto claims are changing. Everybody in the industry knows that. What role does COVID play in that change? You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the autonomous, I mean, maybe it accelerates some of that. I mean, obviously, you know, it would be great if, if uh, you know, the, the Ubers and, you know, the ride shares, Ubers and Lyfts of the world were autonomous vehicles because we don't want to get in one with the person driving it now. So in some ways, that would be nice. But uh, it's still, you know, some ways off, obviously. But I do think COVID accelerates, as we talked about, accelerates this push to, you know, okay, because we're incremental and it's the way we've always done it, it's easier just, you know, we'll add to, add virtual into the mix. You know, organizations, in many, in many cases, they've been thrust to operate that way. And while when the volume's down 50% less, it's easy, you know, heroic efforts can get by and handle that volume without problem, right? Mm -hmm. The question Correct. for organizations becomes what happens as that volume then returns. And even if not to normal levels, right, just returns in some form. And I think what we're going to see is if you, you know, run forward over the next, even the next 12 to 18 months, the setup for what's there, I think, and which will set the long term is, you know, there's really a question of what's the shape of, you know, everyone would say we're at kind of at a trough. 
but what's the shape of the return, right? And, you know, as I said before, claims frequency is highly variable in normal times, but it's going to be really challenging to make a call on frequency over the next 12 to 18 months, right? We've got not just COVID, will it be rolling lockdowns, right? How will the return to work happen, right? What's different, different aspects of the economy and what that means. And so there's a real challenge with matching the expense with what have become shifting customer expectations, right? So a lot of carriers would say, yeah, they, the, our customers, they really like that person coming to see them. And, you know, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like what we were talking about before our call, you know, we realized that I don't really need to travel every, I don't need to be on a plane every time I need to talk to somebody. We've been really effective in, in these video conferences. Doesn't mean we want to go hundred percent away from it, but people have really learned how that they can be as effective and if not more so in some cases, less for some parts, but the other, but so the customer's expectations have shifted, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, there's been a real push toward long-term automation efforts. And I think this accelerates the need to get there. And given a short-term frequency dynamic that we're facing, I think this is putting, you know, a real shift and a challenge to the strategic imperatives of carriers. So again, anybody can handle the volumes that are there today because they're so low. It's a question of now over the next few months, how do I prepare for high variability ahead of, you know, that's coming, right, from an expenditure standpoint, from a skill standpoint, effectiveness standpoint, but then use it as a basis, might as well build out to what are the digital capabilities that can really take me further as I, as I continue to move forward. So how do I create operating model flexibility, right? How do I enable that uh, flexibility to take advantage of the existing capacity I have, but how do I maybe, you know, variableize my cost structure in a way that absorbs some of those peaks and valleys uh, a little bit more? Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, there's a real, you know, good sort of hard think, if you will, that everybody is doing or should be doing mm -hmm. around what that really means, given, you know, most people would say we can automate increasingly more of this over the next three to five year period. The question is, what does it really mean to position myself to do that from a not just a technology standpoint, from a people standpoint, from a process standpoint. And as we said, how do you, how do you build the, that organizational muscle to be, you know, that, that learning machine uh, in order to get you there appropriately? Yeah, that was kind of one thing that came to my mind as you were speaking was to, how big of a role does automation play in all of what you're saying? I mean, is this a time to push automation even further? Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think so, right? It's, I mean, it exposes a lot of the, not that we didn't know they were always always there, but the investment to, again, as I said, it's what you ultimately want is it should be a business decision about where you really want to deploy, where people are absolutely best positioned, right? I mean, I don't think anyone goes into it in design and said what we really want our people doing is a lot of administrative tasks to prepare them to actually have a great conversation with a customer or the other. It's we want them to have great conversations and interactions with our customers. And we want them to make the best and fastest decisions. And you know, there are so many things, as you well know, in the claims process that have nothing to do with that. Right. And, you know, and so so many of those things can be taken care of. And then it's about inserting the people in the absolute best spot. Because it is, you know, as I said in in the paper, but obviously every process is a, is a mix of you know, humans and, and machines and what's possible. It's, but, but I should be designing not by the constraints of my technology, but by, you know, a, the business decision of where the, the absolute, you know, best use of resources is. I mean, who could have foreseen 
where we are today. Did you ever do any scenario planning around what would happen in a pandemic? I sort of did loosely, but I'm I'm really cheating. I I would never want to model the scenario where claims frequency drops 50%, right, or more. I'm a huge, obviously, advocate of scenario planning, right? uh, Modeling is a huge background. And and even like, so in 2010, 2011, one of the things I I had done is authored all the future of insurance work and research in PwC. And part of that was when you lay out a a thing for the future, I was loved that we said 2020 was the, you know, at at that time, you know, it's far enough off. You know, matter and and then those cases right you do you do take the extremes of, of you know how far could things go what events would happen right so you would throw in a scenario that talked about you know a you know where where there'd be a global issue you know whether it be regulatory you know sweeping change you know more nationalism and you know or other and you know a pandemic was one of the you know, was one of the things you would throw out there but you know it wasn't something we put any real analytical <laughs> muscle weight yeah. it, right yeah. you know? Behind it at all, it's like, oh man, oh god. At that point, we just throw in that, you know, we just shrug, right? <laughs> and here we are, and, and to me, that's one of the more interesting parts of this, which really, I mean, has to do with all of our businesses, is that so many of us are figuring this out as we go, yeah, and week to week, because every week kind of presents a new, oh wow, we're done with that phase, but now we're in a new phase, yeah, and there is no end phase yet that we can see realistically. And it, what what an interesting, super interesting time for a business consultant. Yeah, it it, it is. We're, we're even you know in the claims, as I said, how do you actually you know create an operating model flexibility? I always say that you know in order to really optimize and, and really pursue the, what the possibilities of what digital could actually mean to an organization, I always said you you needed a new operating model, but you had to have new capabilities in order to to create that operating model. And conversely, the operating model wouldn't make any sense without those, right? So mm-hmm. I saw nice little loop that really, if you're really going to jolt people to accelerate digital transformation, that's what it required. Well, that's exactly what COVID has done. And what's interesting is, you know, we looked at it and said, nobody can guess what's going to happen around, you know, are we going to have rolling take out? What does that really mean? How fast does claims come back at what level and how will that evolve? Right. But, you know, so we have that certain uncertainty, right? But you can say, we know that's certain, right? We know the uncertainty is certain. And, you know, how do we actually, you know, really build the right capabilities to handle it? And, and so I think, you know, that part of the change is interesting. I think it's unique in that, you know, insurers, you know, other than the, you know, some of the economic pressures and what that will mean, recessionary mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. around expenses and the other, they do, they are afforded the opportunity, you know, the larger carriers afforded the opportunity to invest in now to get that right and actually accelerate those things. You know, that gap to them on, on the claims being down is, you know, that it's, it will have a long-term effect, but uh, they have a window by which their resources are available and, and have capacity to some degree. And, you know, how do we accelerate those efforts that, that people would, you know, kind of just thought they would dole in over a course of years. Listen, we so much appreciate you being with us today. We know that you're a busy guy, even sheltered at home, you're a busy guy. And, um, we appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us. I have one last question for you that we like to ask people because why not? And that is what's the most interesting or surprising thing that has come to you or that you've thought of or experienced as a result of COVID? Is there anything that comes to mind? 
to be honest, it's, you know, as I said before, you know, 30 plus years and being a consultant. So, you know, I'm an airline's favorite, favorite customer have been for a long, long time. So, you know, I I lived on planes as largely my office. And, you know, what's amazing to me, and it seems so subtle and so simple, and that is, you know, obviously we're all doing, you know, video conference calls from, uh, you know, from dawn to dusk. And, you know, the funny thing is, it's not that that wasn't available to us all along. It's, you know, nobody ever turned on their video. And, you know, conference calls and video calls, there's a huge difference in the effectiveness of what you can, you know, accomplish. Mm-hmm. And just the simple thing that people have now want, wanted to turn that on, I don't think that goes back. And I think, obviously, you know, for me, at least, it's, you know, this is not revolutionary, everybody gets this. But, you know, for me, at least, that's a, you know, that's a life changer that, you know, so it was really funny, because I would be in one city and, and obviously do remote for anybody else I was talking to in another city. So it's not like I didn't know it could be done. But for some reason, I always felt compelled to have to be in a different city. And, you know, truthfully, is we can get a lot of work done very effectively this way. Um, I'm not going to give up the fact that I want to get out and see people and do other yes. things. But I don't have to be on a plane every day. And, you know, you know it took me 30 some years to realize that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and a, a once in a century pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Great lesson. Great but, lesson. But that's a great one. And, and I mean, we all have several of them. Mine, mine too, like we were talking before we started today, I mean, to do with travel. Can we maybe do this on video <laughs> and save us all a lot of time, money, effort, exhaustion, et cetera? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating, it's not, it's, you know, again, it's, you know, something that's been right there for us. It's just the behavioral change to, to adopt it, to do it differently than we've always done it. Well, Jamie, we appreciate you so much being on today. Really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Thank you. Yeah, no, likewise. It was a real pleasure. So I I appreciate it and uh, good luck and and be well. Thank you. We'll talk again. All right. Take care. I find the auto space really interesting and it's attracted somebody as smart and as deep as Jamie Yoder. Yeah, it sounds like he got a really neat deal. I mean, after 30 years in the consulting side, he has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of insight into what insurance carriers are trying to do. That was a great hire on Snapsheet side. Great great hire. Yeah. I mean, and and he's a smart dude, right? He's He understands. He's um, written a nice paper. I'm going to have to go read that. (laughs) I did not read that beforehand, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Actually, when you dig into Jamie Yoder, you what you find is is that he's written many papers. He's a I'll go as far as saying he's a insurance intellectual and uh, nice. has a lot of very interesting things and ideas and thoughts. And digital Darwinism has many interesting ideas and thoughts in it, particularly for those of us who are involved in innovation and transformation in our organizations. Yeah. No, I'm excited to uh, to read that. But yeah, I enjoyed the conversation today. You know, we didn't get to talk about some of the things I wanted to talk about, about the property space and all that. Uh, but, you know, it's really neat to see where they're at and to kind of understand what they're going through with this whole COVID thing. Right, right. And we're very thankful to Jamie and yeah. to you, our audience, for being with us. Please reach out to us and tell us what you think on our website has a uh contact feature that you can just email us and we want to know what's on your mind and and what you think about our podcast um and all, and also you know any su- any suggestions about future guests or future topic topics we'd love to know that absolutely i mean we we do this in large part to uh 
give to give our audience insights and knowledge. And so uh, let us know what insights and knowledge you'd like to have access to, and we'll chase them down the best that we can. Yeah. And so uh, we thank you for being with us and look forward to next time. And so we'll say the one thing we always say. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>